You know, looking for hymns on tolerance in our hymnals was not an easy thing. Um, we don't have a keyword search, but even so, I don't think I would probably find tolerance or tolerate or toleration. My memory certainly, certainly didn't call any up. And when I looked for, for uh, there's, a, there's a subject index in the hymnal, when I looked under subjects such as beloved community and, and unity, I found things that, that really were much more about being all the same or at the very least about loving each other. I chose one more step and then in the week or so since I sent it to Thomas and looked at the words again, I thought, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if that song leaves quite as much room as uh, Apaya is talking about. The space that we need sometimes to move freely, the space that mere tolerance might afford. Are we ever going to all say the same word, all have the same prayer, and does it matter if we do? Like Professor Apaya, I have encountered the claim that tolerance is not enough. In fact, that it's so grudging a concept that it's almost an insult to practice it. To be tolerated is to be regarded kind of the same way as, I don't know, a household pest that's too much trouble to squash and even though it deserves it. <laughs> and for all that tolerance is so grudging, we also question whether we should even extend that much to certain ideas and behaviors. Should we tolerate the presence of neo-Nazis? Should we tolerate their speech? I mean, not in our congregation, obviously. They'd get a very strong challenge here if they ever tried to make a home here. But in the wider community of a state, a nation, a world. Should we tolerate religious doctrines that preach the supremacy of one gender over others, one sexual orientation over others? In fact, doctrines that preach intolerance? I think it's an interesting dilemma as well as a painful one. Tolerance is too measly a thing for a family, for a close community, for a circle of friends. We want our loves, ourselves, our lives to be more than tolerated, not just grudgingly permitted to exist, but accepted and supported and celebrated. For example, if your sister's husband is an invited guest to a family affair, while your husband isn't even named on the envelope of the invitation only because he and you are both men, ouch, that's not really what you want from your family. Although they're obviously tolerating his presence in your life by allowing him to come as a plus one. And at the same time, it seems too great and generous a thing to extend tolerance to those who, let's face it, would hang some others of us from the nearest telephone pole if they could get away with it. We know this because they say so. How are we to get beyond, I deserve more than tolerance, more than mere toleration? Because I'm right, 
And you don't even deserve that scrap because you're wrong. Because it feels like right now, that's the only way we can distinguish between why we want more than tolerance and others should not have even that much. Now, I need to acknowledge um, that some people might stop me right here and say that that is not the distinction. The real difference is that one of these sides is a matter of identity and the other is simply opinion or belief. And I'm sure an ethicist um, such as um, Professor Opaya could um, and has spent many chapters on this and I won't do it justice, but I, I just want to address that briefly by saying a, I'm not entirely convinced that identity is an objective fact um, to be distinguished from passionately held beliefs, say. But also, and more important, I think, when it comes to civil society, to say creating a pluralistic democratic republic as we're trying to do, this is a distinction that the law finds pretty dubious. I mean, look at our protections, our protections under the law. There's no discrimination on the basis of sex, gender, race, which are innate, as we understand them. And also, there's no discrimination on the basis of religion, which absolutely is not. Someone saw the merits of tolerating a wide variety of religious opinions, even though some of them, most of them, are surely wrong. And we're not stuck with them from birth. We decide to take the opinions and the positions that we do. Now, right now, people's rights to their identity seem awfully close to their rights to exist, period. Consider two kinds of laws making their way through the Florida State House. One restricts gender-affirming health care further restricts drag shows, already an adult-only activity, but whatever, makes public restrooms off-limits to transgender people, and so on. Almost all with the claim that transgender people are a threat to children. That's their justification. That's, that's the logic. And then the other kind of law that's coming up in the same, one of the largest states in the country, makes sexual crimes against children a capital offense. Hmm. Define being transgender in public an act of sexual assault and then make it a capital offense. This confluence is not a coincidence. So what we think we must tolerate and what we think it's okay to barely tolerate, these are not academic matters. So let me therefore get personal in making a plea for mere tolerance. I've been one who had to watch and wait as the state, the country, debated whether I should have what was considered a basic civil right by most people. And it has finally been established, knock wood, and the Supreme Court doesn't go too crazy, it will remain, 
even though not everyone was on board. A lot of people are merely tolerating same-sex marriage and, for that matter, having both parents in a same-sex marriage have their names on their child's birth certificate so that they have a full claim to the rights and responsibilities of parenthood. People weren't on board on that about that when it became the law. Now, it's fine with me that our neighbors, that is to say, millions of our 300 plus million sibling citizens did not have to do more than put up with our getting a marriage certificate or both our names on our child's birth certificate. I'm really glad we didn't have to wait for more than tolerance. And the fact that they are tolerating it and just sucking it up and dealing with the law, that's fine by me. Now that's the pragmatic piece. But it goes deeper than just not being willing to wait for the perfect before seeing the good enacted. It's also, we live in a very diverse society. Democracy of beliefs, of opinions, of what constitutes a good and a democratic society. It depends on people trying out ideas, some radical, many threatening to the status quo. Many are very bad ideas to enact. But we might not know that yet. We can't without room to experiment and most of all, to discuss, bandy things about. In other words, we need that room to dance. We need tolerance to throw out ideas that might be really, really bad. We're living some of them now with gratitude. Some ideas that were just really too out there for people to take seriously and for some people to tolerate a mere few decades ago. If we don't allow for pretty out there suggestions, the kinds of things that tax our tolerance, our world of possibilities shrinks to like the size of a marble. For example, you've probably witnessed or been part of conversations like this. Someone suggests something challenging to our status quo like universal health care. Hey, let's have that for this country. And an opponent says, that's socialism. And from that, all of a sudden, they're saying, that's communism. And suddenly, they're saying that the person who suggested that is no different than Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot. And now, universal health care can't even be discussed. You know, and it goes both ways politically. Someone suggests that an area of business should be deregulated. And somebody says, wow, that is way too much enmeshment of corporations and the political system, and that's fascism. And before you know it, you're just like Hitler and Franco and Mussolini. And so we cease to have a useful dialogue about an important question. So we need tolerance to have the vigorous political debate that's necessary for democracy. But even if you buy my argument there, you might be wondering, surely in our closer relationships, such as people wrote to the ethicist about, what do I do about this? What do I do 
about getting no more than mere tolerance. I want support, I want affirmation, I want celebration from the people who love me best or claim they do and the people I love too. And yes, at UUCPA, we are going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate people's different cultures and religions. We're going to celebrate all weddings. We're going to affirm everyone's gender identity. We don't have to, in the words of Joe Bailey when we were uh, mooting this uh, topic together, we don't have to like everything. And acceptance is closer to tolerance than celebration, but we need to get past grudging tolerance, he suggests. He says maybe there's a sequence of grudging tolerance, then mere tolerance, and then acceptance. I appreciate those fine distinctions, Joe. I think those are important. Although as I tried to delve into them more, I realized this sermon was going to be 45 minutes. So <laughs> I just want to hold those and consider that even here, even in a community that is all about celebrating who we are, um, we don't all necessarily feel that inside at every moment because we're being challenged by each other. While as a whole we celebrate a child's claiming his gender identity and we are going to carry on doing that, no question, with balloons and confetti, but if you don't understand or share or agree with this feeling this commitment of the congregation, your job is to tolerate it. And if that's grudging, then your job is just to keep the reluctance hidden. Offer a smiling face, if not a bouquet. That would be a great deal. This is where it all gets very tender. It's also where it gets very important for tolerance to go both ways, when we have these close relationships. The people writing to Apaya um, in both these columns, a few years apart, they were both people in same-sex relationships saying they had people in their family, parents, siblings, parents, and siblings-in-law, whose religious convictions were anti-LGBT and who were merely tolerating them. And so that's what he is addressing when he says, you know, I know that seems like weak tea. Maybe it's not. Because in some cases at least, and the ones people are writing to him about, Everybody wants to preserve the relationship. Should I cut ties, is what someone asked him. This is an emotional question, spiritual and relational, as well as an ethical one. What's right for me to do? And what do I need to do for my own self-respect if someone is just tolerating me, who, from whom I want much more than grudging or even mere tolerance or acceptance. In some ways, we need to ask even less of the people closest to us. 
the people from whom we reasonably want more than just tolerance. And the reason is twofold. One, a connection with them matters so much to us as the connection with us does to them. And I'm not talking, and I hope no advice columnist or minister would excuse staying in a relationship that's abusive or where somebody simply refuses to acknowledge your needs in any way. No. The writers into this column were saying, yeah, they've come this far, but I know how they feel. And they're still going to that church that preaches against me and mine. But yes, I want this connection. So that's one reason that tolerance might be enough to ask, or all we can ask for now. And the other is that they too, the people going to the anti-gay church, they are asking for tolerance. They are dealing with very deep commitments, things they might call absolutely core to their identity what they believe the Lord of all is commanding of them, what their church, their whole community and heritage is saying to them. They're willing to come to that middle ground, that little dancing space of tolerance, if not further. And they're saying, can you meet me there too? I wouldn't tell anybody what they should do. It's so individual, and it matters so much what the history there is. But I think it's worth thinking about the ways that, as Apaya says, tolerance is no weak tea. Actually, it's really difficult, and I think that's one reason that we, we rebel against it. Being in that uncomfortable space where we know we don't agree, where we know our commitments are just opposed like this, but staying there, caring for each other, sharing the common ground we do have, trying to reduce the distance between us. All of that, that's really hard work. And it's ongoing work. There's no bright line that just says, okay, that's, that's outside what I will tolerate. No, it's all gonna stay complicated. Every family gathering, every conversation on the corner, every debate in Congress. There's no bright line and these conversations we're having may never get tied up with a bow. And that's why I want to end looking at our next hymn our final hymn, our praise we give that we're going to sing a little bit after, in a little bit after the offering. It ends oddly. It has a bit of an unfinished sound to it. Each verse sounds a little unfinished, which you'll hear in the music. And that's just fine when the next verse is coming and we just keep singing, but sooner or later the silence falls and it's a little awkward like those moments in the family gathering when you realize, right, they've just had to face again that my spouse and I are of different races. Or you've just had to face again that, ooh, 
The person they voted for is, you think, is really, really bad news for this country. It's awkward, but there we are in this space, making what music we can and maybe even dancing.